2: If you're loving this podcast, we invite you to go deeper and partner with us in our work by joining the Gravity Commons, our online community of practice for connecting and learning together.
1: As a member of the Gravity Commons, you get access to live podcast recordings with upcoming guests, as well as other opportunities to connect and learn together with us in real time.
3: Including learning labs, member meetups, discussion boards, online courses, and our practitioner podcast. Go to gravityleadershipcom commons to find out more. See you in the commons.
1: You found us again, the Gravity <laughs> Leadership Podcast. Here we are. We are. I'm here, here. with Ben, mm-hmm. just the two of us.
3: Yep. Hi, Christy. How, How are you?
1: Ya? I'm good. Yep. I'm ready for summer.
3: Ready for summer. It is uh, it is upon us. It's coming it, up here.
1: Yes. Tomorrow's yeah, supposed to be eighty-four is, and beautiful. Can't wait. Oh
3: yeah. Yeah. I think uh similar actually tomorrow for us is a little cooler. Um tomorrow being Saturday. Uh this is the podcast will release on uh thirty-first of May. But it is it is that season, isn't it? Um it's it's time for school to be done and uh for schedules to change and for yes. summer vacations and all the Exams other are
1: over. Well, mm-hmm. for for my kids, not for yours. But you're you no, got two my graduations? Kids are,
3: my kids They're are both. Done? Yes, exams are okay. over. So I I have a college age graduate and her, she was done like the middle of May. Um, and so she uh, just graduated from Yay. Purdue University uh, with ooh, a degree ooh. in English, yep. And then uh, I've got a high school graduate as well who finished classes last week and Come uh, on. Yeah. So it's
1: like two, celebratory two time.
3: I know to uh, you're big doing you're milestones. doing
1: something fun. you're we you're are. going on a trip. Tell us mm-hmm. about that.
3: Uh, I'm taking my high school age graduate uh, to uh, New York City. Okay. Um, and actually, by the time this releases uh, will be uh, that'll be our our uh, second day there. So yeah, okay. over the weekend, um, just heading to actually after church on Sunday, we are headed to, yeah, New York City. So um, fun. Spend a couple nights um just seeing the sights. I've heard there's a couple things to do in New York. Um I hope we don't run out of things to things to see.
1: I don't think you will. Are you gonna <laughs> see a show? Are you gonna see a show or no, not? You know she what? Into we that?
3: we uh, she is uh I think she would see a show, but I, I didn't think of this or I didn't realize it when I booked these tickets. But we're staying Sunday night, Monday night, and then we're flying back Tuesday evening. So okay. we get in Sunday night too late to see a show. Okay and then uh, we fly out Tuesday before we can see a show. So, our only night to see a show would be Monday. But I don't know right. if you realize this, but they like none of the shows do anything on Monday. It's like their day so off. So Monday is their typical day off. And so, yeah. we can't go see a show. Uh, but my daughter wasn't too um, upset about that. She, okay. she was just like, anything's fine. So, we're going
1: to so probably
3: walk the High Line, you know, uh, eat at Chelsea Market. There's some, we got some friends in New York who, Gave us the lowdown of cool stuff what to go to see. Do. So, I love yeah. it. So yeah, I look forward to that. It'll be a lot of fun. That's,
1: that's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Well, this weekend, you know, Matt and Sharon are going to be at my house.
3: That's right. They I show up today. I can't that, wait. Oh, that's so cool. So yeah.
1: they're going to be here, yeah. and um, we're going to hang out, and barbecue, and swim, yeah. and do all the things.
3: Uh, well, good. Well, tell tell them hi from Hello. us. <laughs> uh, Matt is on vacation, obviously, which is why he's not here uh, doing this intro with us. So that's right. Tis the season, though. Tis the season. Which
1: I wasn't a part of this in this interview.
3: No, you were not. You Tell us. were not. This is uh, we're going to be talking with Jay Augustine, um, who um, wrote a book called "Call to Reconciliation." He's also, he's also called Jonathan Augustine. He goes by Jay, uh, but is. Uh, um, author name if you're looking up the book is Jonathan Augustine there's a link in the show notes obviously uh but it's called call to reconciliation and we yeah we talk with him about um three different kinds of reconciliation uh that he sort of knits together theologically which um was hmm. right up my sort of theology nerd alley yeah um, uh salvific when you say three, social
1: yeah yeah do, do you tell me about those. do you do you mean like uh at racial and like relational or I don't know
3: yeah. Uh, he uh, he talks about, first of all, salvific uh, reconciliation. So that that is our, yep. as humans, reconciliation to God. Yep. And then he talks about social reconciliation, which is kind of uh, interpersonal relationships. Yeah. Uh, but then he talks about a third aspect of reconciliation, which is a derivative of social reconciliation. He calls it civil reconciliation, mm. which uh, has to do with systems. It has to do with... Um, you know the black church uh, and yep. the and the white church. It has to do with, um, you know, uh, racial justice. You know, all of that kind of thing. So anyway, it's yeah. a really good book. Uh, he's a really good. Um, uh, this is a really good interview. It's a lot of fun. Uh, to good.
1: I'm you. excited to listen to yeah. it. Yeah.
3: So he traces some some history, um, the, the practices of the early church, legal history. I mean, it's it's pretty fascinating the way wow. that he. Uh, blends. There's a theology part of this. There's a history part of this. Um, anyway, it's, okay. it's a great book.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, before we get into that, you have an event coming up that I want mm-hmm. our listeners to hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's we do.
3: Yes. Next it weekend. Is next weekend. Uh, this, this coming, uh, if you're listening to this uh, during the week uh, on May 31st or this first week of June, it's this Saturday, June 4th, um, it, Here in Indianapolis, it's uh, an event we're co-hosting with um, Fall Creek Abbey, uh, which is a ministry they've been on the podcast before, actually. Um, but it's called Attached to God, and it is a an event with Crispin Mayfield, who's also been on the yeah. podcast, yeah, uh, to talk about his book, uh, Attached to God. He, he applies attachment theory to our relationship with God in really, really effective ways, um and so I'm eager uh for this uh event. You can still get tickets. Um we'll put a link in the show notes, but it's this Saturday, June fourth, um kind of all day, just like nine to nine to four or something like that. These are the times um, where I wish I in didn't live
1: in Colorado. Yeah. Because I would well, go, I would they're totally not. be there. Yeah. I wish. almost wrote my dissertation on attachment, like Did you? attachment to God. Yeah. I I mean mm-hmm. I I'm not, but that was like in the mm-hmm. top running of things I was really interested mm-hmm. in and yeah. um It's going to be great. So listeners, if you are local and can go, I would say do it because Mm -hmm. I live a thousand miles away and I wish I was there.
3: Yeah, it is. uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great uh, event. We actually used a lot of uh, Crispin's ideas on attachment in our book, Uh, Matt and I, the Mm -hmm. book that we have coming out as well, um, one of the chapters um, about our relationship with God and how we perceive and imagine um, God relating to us—it's uh, a—it's a really big and important part of our spirituality, and it flows out into our relationships with others uh, in really profound and subtle ways, though. Um, and so, I'm—I'm yeah. I'm really looking forward to the event. So, anyway, well, I can almost guarantee notes.
1: you and Matt and mm-hmm. Crispin Mayfield will all be quoted in my dissertation because it's going to be all in there. So, all right. well, yeah, well, sign good. up, people.
3: All right. Well, sounds good. Uh, Anything else, Christy?
1: I don't think so. Let's get into the interview.
3: Let's get into it. Here we go.
2: Rev. Dr. Jay Augustine joins us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. He's the author of the new book, Called to Reconciliation, How the Church Can Model Justice, Diversity, and Inclusion. Jay is a reconciliation scholar, an ordained minister, and a professor. Additionally, he serves as a senior pastor of St. Joseph AME Church in Durham, North Carolina, and as a missional strategist with the Duke Center for Reconciliation He's also a professor at North Carolina Central University Law School. He speaks on topics related to race, reconciliation, diversity, and inclusion, and has received numerous national awards and recognitions for his work in civil rights and social justice. Uh, Reverend Dr. Jay Augustine, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast.
4: Thank you, Matt and Ben. It's a pleasure to be with you both. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to share.
2: Um, That bio... Uh, there are there are enough things in there for four people to do, and I'm curious. I'm curious, Jay. What does a typical week look like for you? How is your time uh, portioned out?
4: The typical week is busy. <laughs> the typical <laughs> week is very busy. the uh, The high point of the week is 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 church for me. Uh, uh, but the but the thread that is grounded throughout all I do is service in an attempt to help others. Um, obviously, Sundays is spent in the pulpit, and usually Sunday afternoons is spent recovering from the pulpit <laughs> and preparing for the next week's activities. Uh, that means I begin the week with a, with a comprehensive overview of the Bible. Um, I usually yeah. am a lectionary preacher, uh, save for times of special circumstance when I when I social circumstances of the like dictate that I leave the lectionary and go elsewhere in the Bible. But I usually begin the week thoroughly in preparation to allow things to much like a seed to be sown and watered during the course of the week. So I'll be ready for the uh, for the next Sunday, obviously. Uh, But during the course of the week itself, the weekdays, my time is divided between two campuses uh, and with two different different sets of students uh, at Duke Divinity School and at North Carolina Central Law School. And the thread that unites all of what I do is an attempt to help people uh, move towards self-actualization, move towards who they are. and and a theme that really is important to me is obviously that of reconciliation. So working with different people in different contexts to bring them to who God would have them to be.
2: Yeah. yeah, and this book is actually uh, a unique offering, I think, in this conversation of racial justice and reconciliation because you bring, I think uh, all of who you are to this book, all of your expertise and training. and so it's it's really a deep dive into our legal history. Of exclusion and inequality in the U.S., um, the practice of the early church, including uh, the apostles and the churches there, and also the theology of reconciliation. Um, is there anybody else who could have written this book, Jay? It feels like it feels like it's a great intersection of uh, all the things that God's given you to do. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Thank you so much for that, and uh, and I think that's pretty right. Um, I am I am an interdisciplinary scholar. Uh, my initial calling, and I like to say I'm bivocational and that the good Lord called me twice. Uh, <laughs> my initial calling was that as a, as a civil rights attorney, uh, that became, I'm a proud graduate of Tulane University Law School down in my native New Orleans. Um, I went on to teach law as an adjunct professor in Louisiana at Southern University. Um, in 2019, I was transferred to um, to Durham, uh, where I began pastoring at St. Joseph. I was completing a doctor ministry program at Duke Divinity School, and I have been teaching now as a, as a visiting professor at North Carolina Central Law School uh, for just over a year. So I think I'm pretty well grounded in the, in the legal side of things. On the on the theological side of things and going toward the intersection of the two, uh, the old saying is that a calling to preach is also a calling to prepare. Uh, So that meant for me years ago, when I was called to ordain ministry, uh, earning a Master of Divinity degree at United Theological Seminary, it meant follow-up study at Princeton Theological Seminary, and as I mentioned, uh, uh, ultimately earning a doctorate at Duke. Uh, When you bring those two research agendas together, bring those two domains together, you get an interdisciplinary scholar who produces interdisciplinary works. So the book is very much a reflection of who I am and my thinking about the narrative of reconciliation, and it's very responsive to many of the social divisions and the polarity we've seen, not just in the church, but also in the political world the polarity that has really defined America for the last several years. So I'm happy to have offered it, and I appreciate the compliments that you shared in response to it.
2: Yeah, well, it's excellent. I'd I'd love to give our listeners a little taste of it so that they uh, would want uh, the full meal. So let's jump into this idea of reconciliation. You talk about three aspects—social, uh, salvific, and civil reconciliation. Uh, but in the first part of the book, you focus primarily on the salvific idea, understanding of, of reconciliation, and the social idea of reconciliation in the early church. Um, I wonder, uh, rather than give us an exhaustive explanation, what are some of the things that um, is commonly misunderstood or missed by by Christians as it relates to these aspects, social and salvific, of reconciliation?
4: So I appreciate your reference to the meal, uh, because as a native of New Orleans, the book begins with a description of my favorite food on the planet, and that is gumbo. Uh, And as I as I think about all of us coming together in community, and this speaks really to the social aspect of reconciliation and later to the civil aspect of reconciliation. But as I think about all of us coming in, in together in community. When you begin with the church, whether you talk about the right extreme of what we've seen from our evangelical brothers and sisters or the far left extreme of what we've seen from some of the more progressive bodies of Christ, or by entities within the body of Christ, gumbo for me is not the melting pot of yesteryear. The melting pot of yesteryear speaks to an analogy of uh, assimilation, of, of, of giving something up of yourself that's authentic in order to try to fit in. I understand that that had, had as in past tense, its place. Uh, but in this day and age, where Zoom Room etiquette says show your pronouns, we lift up the the the, the we lift up identity diversity and in, in celebrating who individuals are, and we recognize that in looking at a pot of gumbo, you can see the shrimp, you can see the okra, you can see the uh, the sausage, you can see the chicken. They're not giving up their individuality. But at the same time, they come together to create something that's very special in community. Mm. That's what the church is supposed to be. Mm. And the church is supposed to be an exemplar for society. And we can also learn from some best practices in the secular world. So for me, social reconciliation speaks, it's, it's a direct derivative of civil reconciliation. It speaks to the fact that we are all equal to one another through Jesus uh, excuse me! Excuse me! Equal to one another because of Jesus, just like salvific reconciliation says, we all are saved because of Jesus or through Jesus, we all reach the gift of salvation. So, if if all means all, and as a country we hold these truths to be self evident that all people are created equal, then social reconciliation, a, a, a Pauline ethic or a Paul like equality within the body of Christ logically gives us civil reconciliation. Mm. And that is the minister's prophetic leadership, the willing to take it to the streets, the willingness to take it to the streets and speak truth to power, call government to task, and to make sure that there is no exclusion, that there are no barriers put up, but belonging means a space like gumbo where everybody can belong. Mm. Yes
2: yeah this is uh, excellent what i hear you saying then is that uh, a true social reconciliation the way that christ embodies and extends that to us isn't inclusion and unanimity but it's inclusion and diversity so there is some it's not a melting so that everything becomes uh similar same and mixed together but it's rather this appreciation for the person you're joining with and you receive them as they are rather than demanding some sort of conformity or assimilation. Am I hearing you right?
4: Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. As I, as I think, again, connecting the three, uh, 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 salvific reconciliation recognizes that we all are God's children and we all are saved, not by our own acts, not by our own merit, but we are saved through the suffering of Christ and his resurrection. So we are reconciled in the, in the vertical axis. If you can picture the, the cross, the vertical axis of the cross, we are saved through salvific reconciliation through Jesus social reconciliation rooted in Paul's letter says we are equal to one another on the on the horizontal axis of the cross now we are equal to one another because of Jesus And because we're equal to one another, we should value one another. We should lift up one another. That speaks to the identity diversity of lifting up a black man from the South. It comes to the identity diversity of lifting up a white woman from the Northeast. It comes to the identity diversity of lifting up a Mexican national who's come to America. It comes to lifting us up as we all are God's children in the body of Christ, much like a pot of gumbo. Mm. It's no sense in trying to assimilate because there's there's room at this table for everyone if we really are equal to one another and that is what that is what social reconciliation is all about
3: mm. yeah yeah <clears throat> I hear in that you know there's there's this um, toleration and celebration of difference even in unity and I think that that's the imagination that um, that America <laughs> seems to lack you know that even that melting pot you know, metaphor is is sort of like, okay, yeah, 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 that's fine, everybody can belong, but like we need to melt everything together so it's the same. Mm-hmm. And that's so, how we'll belong.
4: So one of the things the book looks at, particularly through the church's lens, is what I will call a change in evangelical culture and how evangelicalism mm-hmm. has influenced society and the political narrative in America. Uh, in the in the wake of the civil rights movement, where there obviously was an expression of individuality in saying that everyone means everyone, we deserve rights too. Speaking mm-hmm. from the perspective primarily of black ministers, but of yeah. all those who had been pushed to the margins. The result of that was a law and order campaign carefully orchestrated by Nixon with a Southern strategy uh, that sowed seeds of division. Uh, Those seeds started to water, uh, 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 were were watered rather, and started to take root. Uh, They manifested uh, uh, little sprouts in the 1980 presidential campaign where Ronald Reagan was very charismatic. He courted evangelicals. He was guided by Jerry Falwell and others who were to the far right, the religious right as they were called. Um, uh, and, and Reagan famously said, uh, you can't endorse me, but I most certainly endorse you. That began with the 1980 presidential election where he unseated an evangelical Christian, I mind you, Jimmy Carter. Right. Uh, that, that began a union of, of evangelicals being the most uh, dependable voting block of the Republican Party with all of the foolishness that has gone on in American politics uh, united around overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, and it has meant uh, more than 90% in cases, certainly 80%, but more than 90% of evangelicals in some cases voting for the Republican candidate, even as the narrative continued with the last Republican president who, who, from my personal estimation, had, and as I write about, had personal transgressions and misgivings that do not align in any way, shape, or form with what we know to be evangelicalism and to focus on piety and religious living. So uh, we have we have played into a narrative of polarity. Uh, We've played into a narrative of great divisiveness based on race, based on ethnicity, great prejudice. And the make America great again narrative was not an attempt to lead us to better angels, but obviously an attempt to return us to darker days. So uh, uh, it is something Mm -hmm. to be said about a narrative of reconciliation that calls us together and calls us to unite rather than uh, focusing on divisions. That's what call to reconciliation is really all about.
2: Hi, I'm Mac from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, and I've been through a Gravity Leadership Academy cohort. Here's the bottom line. If you want to be discipled and learn how to make disciples, then this is for you. I serve as a pastor, and GLA has had a huge impact on me and my leadership. Not only will you find tools and resources that are highly reproducible, but you'll be connected to a group of people seeking to center their lives in the love of Jesus. If you like the Gravity Leadership podcast and the conversations taking place here, I think you'll love going deeper in a Gravity Leadership cohort. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com academy.
3: Yeah, I appreciate the, yeah. the 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 ease with which you connect those dots. Because I, I think the pushback that a lot of at least white evangelicals get if they try to talk about justice, if they try to talk about, you know, anything that you just said there in terms of like the, the white evangelical sort of being courted by the Republican Party and it's being this, you know, the southern strategy and all of that kind of thing, um it becomes very difficult. Like one of the one of the um what pushbacks is like just preach the gospel. And by that, they sort of mean just reverting back to what you've referred to as the salvific reconciliation, as if that's the only thing that matters, is these individuals who have nothing to do with each other getting right with God so they have the right barcode you know on their on their iPhone when they get into heaven or something
4: and so I'm I'm just so amused but by, <laughs> by your statement because it's so right right just preach the gospel and my yeah. question quickly becomes what gospel are you talking about yeah because yeah, when right. I read the Bible and I look at Jesus obviously the exemplar for us all as Christians, Jesus begins a ministry, according to Luke in chapter four, he begins a ministry that is rooted in social justice, where he reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and referencing, I've come to give sight to the blind, I've come to set the captives free, I've come to liberate, my version, not the the biblical text, but my version of the words there, he's come to bring liberation and bring hope to others. There's a there's a scholar named Aubrey Hendricks who writes a book called The Politics of Jesus, mm-hmm. and Aubrey Hendricks talks about how evangelicals have done exactly what you said. Oh, just give me the gospel. And his question is, who domesticated my Lord? Yeah. We want to talk about Jesus as someone as as tame as a lamb, but we refuse to recognize Jesus also turned over tables in the temple because he was a radical, progressive leader who believed in the equality of all human beings.
3: Yeah, well, yeah. I, I think this is... So it's a blind spot for white evangelicals, right? Because that that's sort of like is a clobber phrase that that a lot of... It stops some people up short. They're like, oh, yeah, maybe I should just preach the gospel. Um, but I think the bla- in the black church, you have this tradition that has always connected these dots. Yes. And um, I wonder if you could just tease that out a little bit more for our listeners who are predominantly white. Um, tease that out a little bit more, the connection that you see... Between social reconciliation and civil reconciliation, between, you know, the, the political kinds of the things that we would think about as political and then, you know, the, the social parts and, you know, even back to the salvific parts. But maybe you could tease that out for us a little bit more and help, help us see those connections.
4: Absolutely so. So from a leadership perspective in thinking about how ministers lead, or in this case, to, to broadly categorize how the black church has led and how its, its congregations, its respective congregations have been engaged in social policy, uh, ministers lead in one or maybe two of three domains. They lead as prophets, as priests, or as kings or royals to be non-gender specific. The priest is the one who gives conciliatory leadership, who visits the sick, who buries the dead. Uh, uh, the, the, the the king is the one or the royal is the one who sets an agenda, a policy. This is the church calendar. This is budget operations. Come this way, as I used to say in the army as an infantry officer, follow me. Uh, but, the, but the prophet is the one who, in the image of the prophets of old and in the image of Jesus the Christ, speaks truth to institutions of power from a moral basis, through the moral lens of justice and equality. That is exactly what we saw Uh, with the birth of the black church. I'm I'm proud to serve in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the oldest primarily African-American denomination, uh, founded in 1787 uh, from a breakaway from the then existing Methodist Episcopal Church. We are still Methodists, But the breakaway was squarely on the issue of racism. The the breakaway was squarely on the relegation of blacks in in roles they could play in worship. So we Mm -hmm. broke away not because of theological differences, but we broke away because of social differences and a desire to fight for equality. That same desire to fight for equality in worship has permeated uh, the black church's existence in the secular world. Uh, when you when you take that sort of philosophy of prophetic leadership and going back to the three descriptions, it is what we saw in the midst of the civil rights movement. It is what we saw from Martin King and from the black church leaders that, again, if all means all, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all people are created equal, then all should logically apply uh, to African-Americans, to, to other minorities, ethnic minorities, and to, and to all genders, not just both genders, to all genders. Um, So so the civil rights movement was a was a watershed moment in church leadership uh, in the prophetic domain, not just the black church led by the black church, but leading from the prophetic domain where there was an open call to equality rooted in social reconciliation, but the willingness to, again, to engage in what I categorize in the book as civil reconciliation, to speak truth to the institutions of power, to demand accountability through actions like civil disobedience. Something that King wrote about as being grounded in the biblical narrative when he was incarcerated in Birmingham and wrote a treatise on civil disobedience, a letter from Birmingham jail. But something that takes root in the narrative of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who refused to bow down uh, to social conditions and things that they found to be immoral. That is the the clarion call of the black church as a call to conscience. And that's where the black church has been. And I pray that's where she always will be.
3: Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you you mentioned um, the politics of Jesus by Aubrey Hendricks jr uh, and I, I don't I can't think of f- three books I've read in the last 15 years that changed the way I read scripture more than that book uh, and helped me to actually hear Jesus's teachings the way that 95 percent of the people who heard it in his day would have heard it um, I just can't exaggerate how important that book has been for me and I want to punctuate that as you as you mentioned it earlier but um, I think one of the things that I missed in my formation, uh, Jay, uh, was how much this social and, and the line between social and civil in the, uh, in scripture is really, um, I'm not even sure we can draw it right. Because of, of how the church became this alternate polis and how it became kind of a government, like a kingdom of God is a government, right? It is a way of organizing yes. people and bodies and what are, what are houses for and what are families for, etc. Um, but, uh, I was struck as I read your book, and I wonder if you could talk about this for a bit for us, how much of the New Testament would not have been written if there hadn't been issues of social reconciliation that needed to be worked out, that rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, almost every epistle is speaking about this. I wonder if you could just uh, talk on that for a bit for us.
4: So absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you for the reference. Again, how fortuitous that I mentioned the politics of Jesus. And it's a book that really was influential for you as well. Um, if you think then and kind of kind of drawing the connection between the two, Aubrey Hendrix pays, plays or paints, I should say, a social picture of how Jesus grew up that is also common to the dynamic of how Paul lived. Paul obviously made a change in his life as a Pharisaic Jew as part of the establishment, if you will, to identify with those who had been more marginalized. But, but Jesus in the politics of that time, uh, 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 he, was a, he was a Jew who was discriminated based on his ethnicity. He was ethnically marginalized. Much like in America, many African-Americans are racially marginalized, many, many women or, or others are, are marginalized based on gender. So let me just quickly unpack the difference and why I say Jesus was, a, was marginalized by his ethnicity as a Jew. There's a difference between race and ethnicity. Uh, a race is a social construct that is largely based on immutable characteristic. Uh, If you could see me now, if you could visually look at me, you probably say, hey, there's a black guy. Well, why do you look and say he's a black guy? Why not say I'm a purple guy? Why not say I'm a blue guy? Because you've been socialized based on this social construct of race to say, based on immutable characteristic, he is black. When you when you look at a group of folks, however, that all, quote unquote, look the same. And you and you can't tell a difference based on immutable characteristic, but there is different or there are rather different categories based on culture, uh, based on beliefs, based on worship. That's where you get into ethnicity. So Jesus may have looked physically looked in some regards like some of those who marginalized him, those in in power in the Roman empire. Uh, So his marginalization was based on his religion as a Jew and it was based again on his culture and the culture in which he lived. So the same narrative of oppression that African-Americans have lived under in the South in particular, but obviously because of white supremacy in America, is part and parcel of the same narrative or similar narrative that Jesus lived under in the the Palestinian uh, uh, empire. Um, I think Paul offered radical leadership. His theology was radical, given his willingness to go against the patriarchal culture uh, that was dominant at the time. I, I lift up in particular Galatians 3, Uh, uh, the the, the verse where, of course, the passage where he's no longer Jew or Greek, no longer free or slave, no longer male or female, but we all are one in Christ Jesus. That is probably the most egalitarian scripture Mm -hmm. in the New Testament, speaking against the paradigms of normalcy then and speaking to a paradigm that was revolutionary of love and free acceptance of all and coming into the body of Christ. That was, if it was good then, it should be good now. Uh, so that means if the church was supposed to be about love and community back in the apostolic age, regardless of gender, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of race, it should be about the same in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Regrettably, we have done a one eighty, and books like Call to Reconciliation are an attempt to call us to to, to turn in the opposite direction and go to the way that the apo- that the apostolic era projected us.
2: Yeah, I I that's one of the strengths of this book. I think that there is sort of this—we uh, we see social reconciliation. This is a word that gets thrown around in um, the white church circles that I was formed in, that, that uh, social reconciliation is an implication of the gospel. It's an outworking of the gospel. It's a uh, and what that meant was, that could we could make that true somehow, but what that means is it's less important than the gospel. It's, we don't make that central. And I just look at how Paul is trying to get people to live in the gospel when he loses his biscuit with Peter in Galatians, right? You're right, denying right. the gospel. Why? Because of where you're eating. And, and so there's this sense of um, so much of the theology that we think is like um, this systematic... Ordo salutis. This is what this is what the church um, is uh, is trying to preserve as this pristine theology. Is really Paul sitting somewhere thinking, "How do I help Jews and Gentiles not deny the gospel and how they arrange themselves? how, how do Correct. I get how do I get people to live in accordance with the kingdom so that that what they profess to believe actually actually is believed?" And I think that mm-hmm. culturally, I miss that.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so you lift up the example of Peter, and I want to just highlight for a moment Peter's leadership. Uh, Paul's theology is so fundamental, but Peter's leadership is also fundamental. Uh, the Acts 10 narrative that I highlight in the book for me is just so incredibly moving because Peter is a devout Jew. He was formed a certain way, reared a certain way, just as you referenced, you were reared a certain way and had certain cultural exposures. Uh, Peter, however, is divinely inspired in Acts 10 by a dream on a rooftop where God tells him, you know, he's hungry, he's famished. Get up, kill, and eat. And he's seeing image of pork. And Peter says, God, I am, I am kosher. I'm a divine You must be thinking about somebody else, right? So in what I like to call a come to Jesus session, uh, Acts ten thirty four, 34, uh, Peter says, after God says, how can you call profane that which I have made clean? Peter then says, wow, I now realize King James version, God is no respecter of persons or new revised version. I now realize God shows no partiality among people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, shortly after that, in the latter part of Acts 10, Paul, Peter then moves toward Cornelius, recognizes his uh, faith. And he baptizes Cornelius, welcoming him as the first Gentile, the first ethnically different person, if you will, into the church, into the body of Christ, because we really are all equals. That formation uh, uh, of that recognition is something that's incredibly key, and it's something that I wish we as a church now could return ourselves to that, op- that apostolic origin of inclusion, diversity and inclusion in the body of Christ, rather than drawing lines of division. Yeah.
2: Yes. Amen. Well, maybe as we, uh, turn to close up our conversation today, Jay, uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, there's a whole section of your book, part two, where you describe the historical and legal and political, uh, coalescing of, uh, of strains of the church, of the law, of the legal system and, uh, a move, a move to re maybe white supremacy and racism in a more, in a less explicitly, uh, you know, uh, rancid way, right? So, for instance, you mentioned the Southern Strategy uh, as something where we have to be more circumspect. We, c- we can't use certain words anymore, but we want to we want to still harness the fear and the anger and the supremacy of this group of people for our own benefit. Um, I, I, encourage, I encourage listeners to get the book and read about that. Um, if you don't know what the Southern Strategy is, uh, Google it, hit pause and Google it, and then come back. <laughs> but I, I wonder maybe if you could give us a word, Jay, about... What do you think will happen? Um, 2016 was an eruption in the white Christian church. It, it really yeah. was. Uh, we, we, we work with a lot of, uh, like when we started Gravity Leadership, I like to say we work with the 19%, like the 19% of white evangelicals who didn't vote for Donald Trump, they were the people that we were we were um, ministering to and people who were, were drawn to us. But what I've noticed about that 19% is they're fracturing. And there's, yes. there's this political and religious homelessness, and there's a disillusionment. Um, and, you know, Donald Trump is alongside of Me Too and Church Too and, and Black Lives Matter and the pandemic and masks and insurrections on the Capitol. I mean, it's just this politically charged times. I wonder, where do you see this going, mm-hmm. and, and how can we as Christians who care about civil-social and salvific reconciliation. How can we begin to work on the ground for this inclusive diversity that your book is calling us to?
4: Yeah, thank you so much. And you've painted such an accurate social picture. Um, I will, I will, I've jokingly said before, and I was saying just now, if my name was not Jay Augustine, it would be Jay Pollyanna, because I am perpetually optimistic. <laughs> we need, it. I am I perpetually need that, I hopeful. need that. I'm perpetually optimistic, right? Yeah. We, are, we are living, as you have rightly said, at a time where society has not been this fractured at any time in the past, I, I would respectfully argue. Uh, so since we have hit the rock bottom, Uh, uh, There are certain segments of the church that feel disillusioned. Uh, There are certain segments of the church that feel completely isolated. That means it's time for regrouping and it's time for coalition building and bringing people back together. Because again, it may sound proverbial, but it's true. That which unites us is far greater than anything that could divide us. And the love we have for Jesus and Jesus's love for all uh, should unite us rather than divide us. Um, I I am personally encouraged by groups and I will lift up uh, CPT, the Center for Pastor Theologians, which is a a primarily white or largely white evangelical group, that probably in years past uh, would not have had a, a conference dedicated to deconstructing evangelicalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this year's conference, the 2022 conference, is that it's a it's a a revelation of where we've been and where we want to go, and not not repeat the same mistakes of the past. And I'm excited that this primarily white group has invited me as one of Mm. its speakers uh, and making a move toward hearing from others and other voices to talk about inclusion and bringing people together. That group I'm lifting up because I got an invitation from them, but I'm sure there are other Center for Pastoral Theologians groups uh, around that are doing the same thing and wanting to be inclusive and learn from others. Um, uh, Things will get better because I would argue they can't get any worse. Given the divisions we've seen, it could not possibly get worse. So I'm optimistic that the love. As long as we, Matt, don't don't do what you said, you know, try to try to extract social goodness from the gospel. And and, and ben, to your point, just give me the gospel. The gospel is social goodness. That's at the heart and the core of it. Human equality is there. As long as we are moving in that direction, as long as we are willing to recognize that there are common problems, that when we come together in diverse spaces, we can solve them. We've got to be able to address global warming. It's a common problem. We've got to be able to address food scarcity, it's a common problem. We've got to be able to come together and live as brothers and sisters or even Either we will perish as fools. Yeah. And I pray that we will come together as brothers and sisters united by the, the, the pot of gumbo because we all are God's children and we maintain our individuality, but we come together as something special in community and that is what the church is supposed to be.
2: Mm. Amen.
3: Yeah, th- thank you so much. Uh, I, I find, I think, <clears throat> I think one of the factors um, for, for me and for a lot of white people uh, who are just waking up to these things you know, in the past five, six, seven, 10 years, um, is it is really easy to get overwhelmed by the problems because we just haven't seen them up until now. Um, And so we're not very resilient. You know, we're sort of like we get bowled over easily. uh, And I I find myself getting hopeless easily. Mm. And so I really appreciate your, I'm taking that as a prophetic word of hope for me. Yeah. Uh, Jay, thank you so much for that. Yep. I appreciate it.
4: Thank that. you, Ben. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I, 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 we started with gumbo, and I want to maybe end us with a shrimp boil. So when I, went to <laughs> New, <laughs> when I went to New Orleans, I went to dinner, and my New Orleans friend was like, we're going to a shrimp boil. And I said, what is that? He said, you'll find out. So uh, we got there, and there's a big pot, and it's you know corn on the cob, potatoes, crawfish, um, uh, et cetera, and, the, and everything gets dumped out on the table. Now I'm from Indiana, Jay. I'm used to my shrimp being deveined, and cleaned, <laughs> right, and nice and pretty and pink. And here's these red, dirty crawfish that have all their legs, their head, their ta- everything, right. And my friend picks up the crawfish, and he tears off the head, and he eats the meat out, and then he sucks the juice out of the head. And I said, "Do I? Do, is that? Do I need to? Do I have to suck the juice out of the head?" He said, "You know what? A lot of Yankees don't." Eat crawfish like that, but you do. <laughs> That's what he said <laughs> to me. You do, and I, I feel like there is a sense in which um, I, I feel like par, part of this social civil reconciliation feels like being at a shrimp boil. Mm-hmm. I, 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 we don't cook like this. I don't know. I don't know how this all goes together. Mm-hmm. And part of the reconciliation is just tell me tell me how to eat this. Tell me what to do, mm-hmm. even when it doesn't look like I, I'm used to. Even when maybe like. You're sucking the brains out of a crawfish. This is not McDonald's, you know. Like, but but there's a sense in which part of the responsibility I think I have is to say to people that have demonstrated um, faithfulness and trustworthiness, just tell me what, tell me how to do this, and let's do it together. So, I think your book does that for us, Jay. (laughs) Your book. Thank you.
4: We've got to learn from each other. Thank you so much.
2: Your book does that for us. It's again, it's called called to reconciliation. How the church can model justice, diversity, inclusion. You mentioned the Center for Pastoral Theologians conference. You can Google that and find that to be with you. Are, are you anywhere else hanging out uh, virtually that people can connect with you?
4: Yes, thank you so much. So from the uh, uh, from the social media perspective, um, on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, I am at j Jay Augustine J A Y A U G U S T I N E nine, just the number nine. And on Facebook, I am at jaugustine9b91. Um, my website is www.jaugustine.com, and it has a list of speaking engagements, uh, which shows where I will be in some spaces virtually, in most places physically and personally, uh, coming up, uh, up to that October, uh, a Center for Pastoral Theologians a meeting in Chicago. So thank you for the invitation okay. to share that too.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Reverend Augustine, thanks for being with us today.
4: Thank you. The pleasure's all mine. God bless you both. Bye
2: bye. So that was great. Yeah, really good. Yeah. Um, so can I can I share some behind the scenes?
3: Behind the scenes. All right, with Jay Augustine. Lift,
2: lift up the lift under uh, get under the hood here. We we had a yeah, okay. a, t- a tight window to get this interview in. Yeah. And uh, I was a little sad that we didn't have more yeah. time to chat. Yeah, yeah.
3: This is how the sausage is made, friends. Sometimes you have a. <laughs> sometimes you can't talk as long as you want. Sometimes making uh, short yeah, podcasts yeah, I mean,
2: make you sad. Yeah,
3: you know yeah, that's. I mean, but we're we're here for you, listeners, uh, to create punchy, efficient podcasts uh, <laughs> because of our own deadlines With long rambling outros. Um, yes. Yeah, and le- yeah, yeah. Sometimes we can get a little rambly in the outro. Um, I, I appreciate a punchy interview sometimes though. I, mm-hmm. I'm like, that was great We in and out, but he was such a delightful person. Uh, and, the, and the kind of person that you do want to spend like a, a like a long dinner with, oh, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the impression I, I get is he, uh, anyway, and he just, even after we hit uh, stop on the recording, he was just like, yeah, thank you so much for, you know, the chance to be here. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, just a really generous, um, a really good person. Yeah, so, yeah. I really Want to it. spend
2: time with him. So he <laughs> yeah. men, he mentioned that yeah. uh, Center for Pastoral Theologians. We should. Yeah,
3: I uh, I remember hearing about that. Well, and there's a link to this in the show notes. Great. Um, but I I remember hearing about that um, group uh, a while back. I can't remember what the context was. Hmm. Pastor theologians. There we go. Um, I'm looking it up right now, Matt. Um, okay. Center for Pastor Theologians, Forming Pastors to Transform the Church. Looks like they have a podcast. Uh, There's some essays. I really don't know anything about these people. It looks like their Reconstructing Evangelicalism conference is October 24th through 26th in Chicago, Mm. Hmm. Illinois. So
1: anyway, Hmm. Hmm.
2: it's
3: uh, it's fascinating.
2: It is fascinating. Well, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I, I was struck. I mean, I was I, I mentioned this in the podcast, so we don't need to get into it uh too too much, but I was struck by two things I would say. One is the like um the ease with which he and I think because he comes from the black church tradition, mm-hmm. the ease with which he connects what we think of as reconciliation, you know, with God, like salvific reconciliation, with the other aspects of it that we as like part of the white church have difficulty connecting with, which is social reconciliation and yes. the civic, yes, civil re- reconciliation. Like we have such trouble connecting those dots. They feel like, uh, you know, I don't know. They don't feel like they have anything to do with the gospel. Like, it, in in, I mean, they do now for me, but like, uh, it's not my bones like it is. No, uh, with him, no. and so I I was uh struck by that that his e the ease with which he moves. From one to the other, mm-hmm. as though they're the same thing <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because they are they are. Uh, because they are the same thing and um so I was struck by that and then um i i was struck by his uh hope uh as well um mm-hmm. that that is a um i think that's a virtue yeah that um you know th- there's a shortcut to hope that doesn't that doesn't see reality right mm-hmm. um it's just kind of the you know, I mean, what we might call Pollyanna, even though he <laughs> <That's> <laughs> gladly uh, said he adopted that or would adopt that moniker. Right. Um, but that's a shortcut. There's a shortcut way of doing it, which is like, everything's fine. Like, it isn't that bad. Like, everything's going to be fine. Um, but people who can see what's really going on hmm. with the clarity that Jay does and yet say, okay, like, but but there's hope uh, because, you know, we believe in the gospel. Yeah. So there's always hope. Um, those are people I want to I want to grow up and be like that. Yes. I want to uh, I want to learn how to uh, cultivate the virtue of hope more.
2: Yep. Me too.
3: So anyway, those are the things that struck me about Jay.
2: Yep. Yeah. I love it. I want to learn from him. Um. All right. Let's get out of here. Before we go, though, Ben. mm Hmm. Knock knock. Uh, who's there? Control freak. Control okay. Freak now you say who? control freak.
3: <laughs> control Freak Who? <laughs> okay, now you say it uh, oh, That's one I of think. my
2: favorites that's Control not- Freak Okay, now you say yeah. Control Freak who? <laughs>
3: <laughs> let, me, let, me do, let me tell you how this is going to go <laughs> That's pretty good uh, Alright, everybody Well, <clears throat> I think that's it Listeners yep. uh, Man, I, I love the fact that uh, we get to do this fun we have these great conversations and I know we get to share them it's you know podcasting is a little weird like it's just mm-hmm. you and me talking Matt mm-hmm. but I am aware I'm aware that later on yeah. a whole bunch of people are going to be listening and uh, it'll it'll uh, I don't know there's an it's 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 weird it's weird yeah. but it's really fun and good yeah uh, I love that we get to share these conversations with you all so thanks for listening uh, gravity community yeah we appreciate you a lot
2: yep we sure do peace everybody yeah all right see you later Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends
3: about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join.
1: You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.
2: Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebbe. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd
3: love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button.
1: You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time.